Well, as you guys know, over the past few uh, months that we've been coming, we've been talking about rebuilding and restoring the gates and the walls um, from the story of Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, when the people of God were in this incredible project uh, led by Nehemiah to restore the gates and walls around Jerusalem. This came after, uh, back in, I believe it was around 587 B.C. when Babylon uh, overthrew uh, Jerusalem, destroyed the city, uh, destroyed the, the temple, uh, the palace, the gates, the walls, and uh, left them just and, and took a remnant into Babylon. Years later, um, uh, Ezra was given permission, I believe it was under Cyrus, uh, I'm trying to remember who, 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 was, who was who at the time. Under Cyrus, Ezra was allowed to go back and rebuild uh, the uh, temple. And then under uh, Artaxerxes, uh, a Persian king, because the, uh, uh, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians. Uh, and so under the Persians, uh, uh, Ezra was allowed to go back first, and then Nehemiah was allowed to go back under another king. And Nehemiah's project was to go and rebuild the gates and the walls. And we kind of talked about briefly how we've seen that pattern in the church in America uh, where we've had restoration of the temple, restoration of temple worship, the, uh, greater understanding about what worship really was about. And, uh, and, uh, and we've seen a tremendous revival in worship in America and the understanding of that. But our gates and our walls have remained uh, down and, and broken down, and that's specifically for our hearts and our homes. And we believe that now we're involved in a tremendous move of the restoration of the gates and walls. Now, I understand when this is a, I won't call it a teaching, but it was a prayer uh, directed that the Lord gave us about, uh, I guess it's four years ago. Uh, we were just we were meeting with our small with our congregation every Sunday, and the Lord told us to begin to uh, really begin to pray for our families. And He gave us Nehemiah the fourth chapter as the strategy for praying for our families. And we looked at each one of the gates that surrounded the city, and the Lord showed us uh, how to apply those prophetic meanings of those gates to our families, because we're some of those people who. We like to do more than just simply talk about the prophetic meanings of things, but to take it a step further. How do I apply that wonderful revelation to my life on a practical basis? I understand when we started uh, first started talking about this gates and walls restoration, several people came to me and told me, you know, Harrisburg's got gates around the city of Harrisburg, and we can tell you on the map and show you exactly where they are. And many people have written books about it. And, so, and I said, yeah, okay, okay, great. But has anybody talked about how to apply that? Well, you know, the gates and the walls, they, they describe the journey that we all go through as believers from the time we get saved all the way to the point where we're going to stand before the Lord in, in, the, in the judgment. I said, Great. Okay. Got it. All right. Still, how are we going to apply that in everyday life? <laughs> and so we begin to see, uh, or the Lord Holy Spirit begin to show us how to apply this specifically in our own hearts individually and, and to apply this in our homes with our families. Um, 
And the reason why it's so necessary in both our hearts and homes, I want, to, want you to see it this way. We have these 10 gates, these same 10 gates are guarding and protecting our individual hearts. And these same 10 gates are intended to guard our homes. And if these gates are up and strong in guarding and protecting our hearts and our homes, then it will happen with our neighborhood, with the community, in our churches, in our townships, in our cities. There's a lot of things that we're fighting for politically in the United States, even as Christians. And I don't make this as a negative statement or a, or or a con negative confession, but they will not happen if they don't happen at this level first. The things that we're trying to get into place politically, it may last for three or four years, but it will not have the long-term effect that's necessary because it, nothing will have happened in an individual's heart. Nothing will have happened in a home. And so they just become more laws and policies that are put on the books that somebody else just comes along and amends it and changes it because nothing really happened at the level where it must happen. I'll use a perfect example, you know, with all of the, uh, the great things that Dr. Martin Luther King did, civil rights and all of that, and laws are put in and, you know, have the right to vote and have the, all of that, but you can't change people's hearts toward another ethnic group. You, couldn't ch you can't change anyone's heart. So even though they put in affirmative action and forced more, you know, more companies to hire African-Americans, it didn't change anyone's heart that hired any African-American. <laughs> they were just did it because they were forced to. It didn't change anything. And in the churches, it didn't change anyone's heart. Well, now our church, we're going to be open and let more Latino people come in. We're going to let black people come in and Asian people and even uh, vice versa. Black churches, we want more white people to come to our church and more Latino people to come to our church. But if the members sitting there still have a problem with another ethnic group, then that poor pastor will have to stand up every week and look at his congregation sitting there with all the white people sitting here, all the black people sitting there, all the Asian people sitting there, all the... <laughs> because why? He can't change their hearts. The heart change is where it has to happen in here. And that's what this is about. As you guys may recall, and you can go back, I, 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 I'll tell you, you can go and bombard Gary for CDs or the previous times where we've talked, where we've shared on the previous gates. I don't want to go through all of that because I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to take the time to uh, go through the gates that we've looked at so far. You know, we've looked at the sheep gate and the fish gate and uh, the uh, valley gate, am I right? And, uh, <laughs> and now we're going to come to, this one is, oh, we looked at the old gate and the valley gate. I'll just say this really quickly, sheep gate, uh, was meant, it's talking about Jesus being the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world because the sheep gate was where they brought in the sheep to be sacrificed in a temple. So this gate being established in our heart is saying that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the only Savior for my life and for my family. The fish gate was where they would bring in the catch of fish 
Uh, everybody knew that this is where if you wanted to buy fish, you're going to have to go to the fish gate because the fishermen are going to bring the fish there. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So the top occupation of the believer is to be a fisher of men and to live our lives that are like bait <laughs> or like the kingdom of God principle of like a net that's throw out the net and you're going to catch all kinds of fish, but then you got to go through the sorting stage and the ones who are not ready, uh, you throw them back. <laughs> and that sounds kind of bad sometimes because like, we've been all trained and programmed to win souls, get them in. And then here's the, here, the kingdom of God principle says, if you catch some fish that they're not ready, you throw them back. They're not ready yet. <laughs> I like that Gene. Gene says, let them grow bigger. They're going to grow bigger. Then they'll be ready. <laughs> and we looked at the, uh, the old gate, uh, which was talking about the timeless wisdom of God it just transcends all time. We live in a world where there's uh, a lot of emphasis on the newest fad, the newest and latest thing, uh, and we have no appreciation uh, for the ancient wisdom of God, the old wisdom. And we think of, and I also talked about how we think of times in, in terms of old and as a, something about time. But remember my example of that, the age that we say we all are is really just the number of times that the earth has gone around the sun. Remember that? <laughs> Because it takes the sun 365 days to go around. I mean, it takes the earth 365 days to go around the sun. So I've been on the earth for, in September, it'll be for 58 revolutions around the sun. I'm not 58 years old. I've just been on the earth for 58 trips around the sun. That, that's why you're there. <laughs> But I share this because even though our bodies, my point is, even though our bodies are aging because we live in a fallen world of decay because of sin, isn't that something when you really stop and think about that? Yes. That's the only reason why our bodies are decaying because we live in a fallen world. But the real true us is not aging. Somebody say amen. <laughs> it's just been inside of this shell for 58 revolutions around the sun. And so just like my soul, my spirit is timeless. Our almighty God is timeless. Oh, I feel his presence just saying that. So he's not some big old guy with a long beard in the heavens. That'll change your picture already. Just stop and think, what if God looks like somebody who's like 21 years old? What if God looks youthful and powerful? That just blows our minds away, doesn't it? But I believe he wants us to see him that way because he's timeless. Wow. And so that gate needs to be restored in our understanding, first of all, in my own heart and in my own home, that I will live my life according to the timeless wisdom of God. It doesn't make any difference that it's now 2017. The word of God, the wisdom of God still applies to my life now as it did 20 revolutions ago, 50 revolutions ago, 100 revolutions ago before I got here. 
it's still the same wisdom of God, and it applies. And then we looked at the valley gate. Oh, <laughs> which is one of those gates that's really tough for us to deal with because we don't really like to talk about hard times and tribulation, but we looked at the excellence. We talked about how the excellence of the, uh, of the glory of God is revealed in our lives through valley gate situations that it's not always going great. Uh, in fact, that's what the excellence of God's glory is really revealed when we are being uh, crushed, <laughs> when we're perplexed. Uh, it's not always in the great and wonderful times that the glory is being revealed, but when things are tough, that's when the glory of God is often revealed in our lives. And so now we're gonna talk about the dung gate. Now this is a real tough one to talk about just because of the very nature <laughs> of what must be discussed. But the, here's the reason why. Uh, uh, and actually in the Bible, uh, it's often referred to sometimes as the refuse gate. It's not a very pleasant gate, but it's a, ne it's a necessary one. Just like in our own physical bodies, it's a ne very necessary function. Uh, the elimination of Fill in the blank of refuse. Thank you, dear. She's helping me. <laughs> this is the gate of elimination, the gate where all the rubbish and the corrupt things in the city were brought to the garbage dump in the Hinnon Valley outside of Jerusalem. This gate symbolizes the necessary activity of getting the trash, the filth, and the waste out of our hearts and out of our homes. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the your word today. Chris and Carol, right now in this moment, we decrease that you would increase. Lord, I sense your presence as we were worshiping today, since the gentle move of your presence today. And so we submit to your gentle hand. Lord, for many of us, when it comes to topics like this, we've been browbeaten and screamed at and yelled at because of our flaws and rubbish and trash. But Lord, I sense your presence today for a gentle, the way I see it, guys, is the gentle hand of a surgeon. <laughs> they operate with precision and care. So this is not a butchering today. <laughs> God doesn't have a cleaver out this is a gentle procedure, surgical procedure. So, Lord, we say yes and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Carol and I see three things that we must deal with when it comes to rebuilding and restoring, renewing the refuse gate. Number one, and you can write these down if you want to, First of all, we must deal with the confidence that we have in our own flesh. We must deal with the confidence that we have in our own flesh, which God considers it to be refuse. And then number two, we must deal with the things that seem harmless, but we're going to but you discover that they are refuse. So we're going to deal with the things that seem harmless. So the first one we're going to deal with, the confidence that we have in our flesh. The next thing we're going to deal with is the, the things that seem harmless. 
And then number three, we're going to deal with the things that we already know is refuge. Some things you already know. Nobody has to tell you. <laughs> First, let's deal with the confidence in the flesh, which God considers to be refuse. And for that, let's look at the things that the Apostle Paul called rough, rubbish or refuse. Many of you are familiar with this verse of scripture from Philippians, the third chapter. You can look that up if you want to. Philippians 3. Verses 4 through 9, and it reads like this. Very, very familiar passage. It says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Anybody remember Paul writing that? If anybody thinks that they got something to boast about, I certainly do, is what he was saying. (laughs) And then he tells us why. He says, circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Woo, that's some serious lineage, right? (laughs) Uh, He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, boasting, look at this. He said, I was persecuting the church, so nobody had more zeal than me. (laughs) all of this is talking about his confidence that he had in the flesh concerning the righteousness which is in the law I was blameless I don't know if many people can boast of that you do understand there was 613 of them that they had to keep and here's this man saying I kept all of them (laughs) it's hard for us to deal with just one sometimes but what things were gained to me he says These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And here is what he considers those things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So from Paul's words, we can see several things that we that must become refuse to us compared to gaining Christ. Things that must become rubbish, refuse, dung to us when you compare it to gaining Christ. So here's what Paul actually identified. He said, my ethnicity and my nationality must become like rubbish and trash compared to gaining Christ. And here in America, that's at the top of the list. Our ethnicity and our nationality. And we'll fight everybody (laughs) on those two. And here's the man of God says, that's got to become rubbish, trash, refuse compared to Christ. Number two, he identified, he said, his ability to fulfill religious requirements. All of that's, I'm just going through the list, but I'm enumerating it for you, what what he described. Our our carnal ability to fulfill righteous requirements. He said, as a Pharisee and full of zeal and for meeting all the requirements of the law, I could do it, buddy. 
How does that affect us today? Here's the Holy Spirit saying, take that to the refuse gate. I want you to kind of see yourself packing in all of our ethnic issues and nationality issues and now our ability to fulfill religious requirements. See yourself putting it in a bucket and we're all picking it up and we're taking it to the trash. <laughs> I'm throwing it out because that will never be more important. That'll never be more important than he said, gaining Christ. Number three, he talked about his zeal for the earthly causes for which he was, you can fight for. Isn't it something that uh, everything he uh, pointed out was exactly the major battles and things that we're seeing in America right now? Yes. Even amongst the church. Our zeal for the earthly causes for which we fight for. What was he fighting for? He was fighting to preserve Judaism. So he fought against this movement called, called the way. Even to the point of going and into people's houses, dragging them out and putting them in prison and having people executed. And he thought he was doing the right thing. And that's a major one for the church today in America. We are willing to fight tooth and nail for what we think is the right thing. For our cause, for our pet peeve cause. <laughs> and he said, but we've got to consider it as refuse compared to gaining Christ. Some of you have even experienced that where there were, and I'm not picking on any particular denomination, but I mean, I can say this because I grew up in both of these two denominations. You know, I was born a Baptist. <laughs> I will li have lived a Baptist. I will die a Baptist. <laughs> and I also grew up in Pentecostal church and I'll be resurrected. In other words, I, I'll fight for my denomination. Because Paul did it. He was fighting against the move of God to uphold his religious belief. Wow. So I'm like, okay, God, show me every place in me that's got that level of refuse. The next one he said was the accolades and the awards in it and the acknowledgments that come to us as a result of our accomplishments and our achievements through our talents and skills and our education and our connections. All of the accolades and all of the awards, if a couple of, uh, I'm thinking just within the last three or four weeks, as you guys know, the past couple of years, a uh, lot of accolades and awards and things have come me and my, me and my wife's way. Uh, we received honorary doctorates and uh, all these acknowledgments, a United Way nomination uh, for our volunteer work in the city and all of that stuff. It's like all these accolades and stuff coming our way. And, I, and just one day, I was like, I'm, I'm tired of this. I don't, need, I don't need all of this. 
And so I got online and I, because I, 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 I love, I'm very much involved in social media and posting things. And I wrote a little piece called Going Back Home. We're just going to go back home. I didn't mean go back to St. Louis, but I mean, we're going to go back to just being Chris and Carol. I don't need doctor in front of my name. And I don't need all these awards in my bio. If I've got to have all of that to get people to receive the message that God has given us to give to Harrisburg, then something's wrong. We don't need that. Like, so we, we intentionally said we're going back home, just Chris and Carol. You don't even have to say pastor. <laughs> don't say reverend. <laughs> but what's our point? I mean, if you want to, you can. But what's our point? I don't need that. In my spirit, it's just refuse. It's more stuff that just needs to be carried to the trash. Come on, just say that inside yourself. Just more stuff, just throw it out. I don't, I don't need it. I don't need it. Now, of course, yes, it, it has opened some doors, and sometimes in the world system, people have a little bit more respect and all of that. But amongst our brothers and sisters, but I want you to know that in some settings, it's that deep. If Pastor Paul gets up and, and introduces me and Carol, come up, and then we come up and say, that's doctor. You forgot to say doctor. <laughs> Praise God, brother. You forgot to say doctor. <laughs> when you introduced us, you forgot to mention the awards that we have received. <laughs> now, that's on this level. Now, just think about just in your everyday life. And that desire that all of us sometimes feel that if people would just appreciate what I'm doing Amen. on this job, you know, that feeling of nobody, you know, if I ever quit, y'all going to find out just how much <laughs> I really do around here. <laughs> come on, in your spirit, say, take that to the trash. Just come on, do it now. Just throw that out. I don't have to have it acknowledged. I don't have to have it acknowledged. In fact, I would rather live the way the Lord told us. And he said, when you get acknowledgments here in, in this earth, that's all the reward you're going to get. And I'm like, please, please, no more. I don't know. I don't want nobody taking away from what God has for me in heaven because I'm getting it all here. I don't need the temporary certificate. <laughs> Our overseer, my, who happens to be my older brother, he talks about, um, uh, and he's one who's greatly educated, you know, degrees and all of that. Um, but he says, I'm really not all that excited about all of these degrees and everything. He said, because basically, you're going to love this description. He said, it's just a coupon that shows that I know how to operate in the world system. He called it a coupon, not even a certificate. <laughs> but in talking about the refuse gate, the dung gate, I actually had a brother who has, he is, he has, he earned uh, an earned doctorate. Uh, and he says, Chris, I want you to understand that PhD stands for piled high and deep. 
So we can join in with that brother and take it to the refuse gate. Come on, in your mind now, so take it to the refuse. Now, it's not that we don't need education, but I don't need this to be the thing that, that validates who I am in Christ Jesus. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Wow. I'll be a little bit more transparent with you guys. You know, there are many in the urban world and in the urban community who champion the accomplishments of athletes and entertainers and educators and politicians, preachers, and many others. And my wife and I, have, we were raised in an era when the accomplishments of African Americans was used as the primary motivation for us to strive for success in our personal lives as, as kids growing up. So we would look at these accomplishments and it was used to motivate us. But however, in later years, we discovered that many of those same people that we idolize uh, for reaching those lofty goals, they were often the most horrible husbands and wives and parents. And a whole lot of them left scores of wounded souls in the wake of their success. They were so driven. Their personal lives were horrible. And so even though we idolized them for their outward success, what we didn't know was that they paid a heavy price in their personal lives and in their relationships. Um, the few who did manage to keep their families intact were often extremely bitter, uh, seriously scarred, emotionally crippled uh, for the things that they dealt with. One of them, uh, I remember reading the story of Hank Aaron. Some of you remember him, baseball player. Uh, and um, I love watching Hank Aaron play. You know, he finally broke Babe Ruth's record, hitting the most home runs before Barry Bonds came along uh, and broke his. But so I was, it was 1974. You know, I was, tell my 15 years old watching Hank Aaron uh, break Babe Ruth's record. Now, what I didn't know was years later, after he retired, and of course, I'm getting older myself, and then I see, you know, they all start, you know how um, baseball will do documentaries and all kinds of stories about famous athletes years later. So years later, I'm watching a documentary on Hank Aaron, and this man is just so angry. So angry because of the racism and everything and the death threats he received while he was going for the record. He's so angry and bitter. So even though he's highly esteemed for his accomplishments on the field, in here, he's a broken man. And so that's why this is so important that in our lives and in our own hearts that we don't allow even the, the, the great things we're accomplishing to ever diminish what God's purpose is in our lives. A whole, and I feel that so keenly because we can have so many things that we were striving for, things that we didn't accomplish. And what I'm sharing with you now may seem a little bit different, a little bit of a twist, but sometimes it's the things that we didn't accomplish that becomes trash. 
because it becomes the regret. I always wanted to finish college. I always wanted to get this business going. I always when you don't, and it becomes trash. You become like the hoarders. Anybody ever seen the TV show, The Hoarders? And that regret just piles up. And in our hearts, in our hearts, we look like those hoarders who got all this stuff piled up in their house. And God wants us to, I believe the Holy Spirit is present today to help us to, okay, clear all of that out. All of the regrets, the stuff that I always wanted to do and never got to do. Put it away today. Thank you, Lord. Because you have the greatest treasure. You have the greatest accomplishment. And even if you don't get to do all of the things that, even that uh, you, I've learned now, there are a lot of things uh, that God promised us. And I had a particular picture in my mind of how I thought he was going to do it. <laughs> and when he doesn't do it that way, I'm still holding on to the picture of the way I wanted him to do it. I want you to know today that's refuse. So right now in this moment, say, I throw it away. I throw the picture that I'm still holding on to. And even though, even though God has clearly shown me that's not the way he's going to do it. Come on, just Throw it out the trash. Throw it out. Just throw it away. Because I'd rather be able to stand before him and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I told you to do the way I told you to do it. <laughs> I remember growing up in the Pentecostal church. That was the other church that I grew up in. Besides the Baptist, in the Pentecostal church, they used to always have this phrase, Telling us young people, you've got to learn how to do God's will, God's way. Sometimes we pray and ask for God's will, but we say, but my way. I want God's will, but I want it my way. But it's got to be God's will, God's way. Bless the Lord. Nothing compares to Christ Jesus. Come on, just say that in your spirit right now. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. He alone is the treasure all else that we accomplish in this life is, is trash by comparison to him. So therefore, right now in this moment, we restore the refuse gate and we dispose of all of the rubbish, all of the confidence that I have in the flesh. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Now let's continue with the refuse gate. So we discussed and talked about the confidence we have in the flesh. Uh, thank you, Lord. So now let's deal with the things that they seem like they're harmless, but we got to throw it away when we discover that they're harmless. How many of you saw, realized that as you've been walking with the Lord, that along the way you start realizing some things and people and situations in your life, this isn't of God. And I've got to be willing to toss the, I call it toss the toxic. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. You can write that down. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 reads, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, remember this scripture? Yeah. Let us lay aside every weight <laughs> and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Wow. So as we grow in our relationship with God, we're going to discover some things and people who are weighing you down or ensnaring you. So here's some of the things I want you to consider. 
you can write these down. One, two, three, four, five, five items that you can be watching for as the Holy Spirit will make you aware that they're toxic or that they're refuse for you. Toxic thoughts, toxic people, toxic musings, M-U-S-I-N-G-S, M-U-S-I-N-G-S, musings, toxic connections, toxic living. These are the things that you kind of discover. I'll say it again. These are some of the things that you kind of discover as you're walking with the Lord that they are refuse. Toxic thoughts, first one. As you discover, any, and the Holy Spirit points out any areas where you've got some bitterness, worry, fear, anxiety, lust, envy, murder, an unforgiving heart, toxic thoughts. These are the things that as soon as they come up in your spirit, you throw it away immediately. You don't hold on to it. You don't wrestle with God over it. Toxic people. I'm going to go through these quickly. These are some of the folks that are very negative. I'm not saying you, you throw the people out. <laughs> but some things, there are certain relationships that you just discover it can't be the way I want it to be. I can't have this person in my life the way I want them to be in my life because they're negative, they're critical, they're cynical. Some of them are arrogant, boastful, selfish. Here's a word, narcissistic. Big word, narcissistic. What does that mean? It's all about them. They're in love with themselves. In fact, that's where it comes from. I forgot what the name of the Greek character is. It's Narcy. Yeah. He uh, looked at his reflection and fell in love with himself. <laughs> that's where it comes from. That's, that's the Greek story. He looked at his reflection and fell in love with himself. So when a person is called narcissistic, <laughs> in love with themselves. No matter what the situation is that's happening in their, in their life, it's always about them. If you get sick, it's an inconvenience for them. If something goes wrong in your life, somehow it's about them. Because, you know, you can call up and say, I'm not feeling well today. Yeah, but we were supposed to go shopping together. Not a single word about, well, how are you feeling? Are you okay? No, you've just ruined everything. Yeah. And so those are the ones where it's always, they take, they take, they take, they take. You give, you give, you give, you give. Why is this important? Because that may be one of the relationships that you have to put on the shelf until they're ready. Next one is toxic musings. The word comes from the word muse, which is literally just your mind is passive and you're just kind of just being entertained. Musing is often thought of connected with entertainment. Um, so there can be toxic musings. This is a tough one, especially when, I, when we were youth pastors. This is always really difficult to deal with when it came to young people and the music that they listen to and the movies that they watch. And it's the same thing for us today. Toxic entertainment, music, movies, books, 
that are reinforcing negative and vulgar and lustful, hostile, violent, and prideful images and thoughts and behavior. It's a lot of stuff that's coming across our way all the time. All the time. I remember there was, there was some movie that we really wanted to see, didn't know, you know, so uh, it was a Netflix movie or something. So I want to see this. So I turned it on, and it was just F-bombs everywhere. And I was like, oh, I can't just, you know. Sometimes they catch you by surprise. You didn't know. I'm like, no. And I know that there will be some, because it's got great, inter it's got a great plot. And, and so it's got great special effects and explosions. Like, yeah, but I can't get past the toxic. I can't have that swimming around in my head. I can't have those images. There's a lot of things that, that, the, that many in the body of Christ that they're struggling with in their spirit, and that's because they keep feeding themselves that stuff. I used to, while we were youth pastors, the young people would always ask us, what's wrong with listening to secular music? What's wrong with it? I don't see anything wrong with it. It's just nice beat. Anybody ever heard that? I just like the beat and the rhythms and the sound. I'm not paying any attention to the, to the words that they're saying. What's wrong with it? And so we would ask, I responded out of the wisdom in Proverbs. And I use this example. Solomon's mom said, son, you're a king. I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm put it in the city language that I did with the young people. For the folks that really aren't going to do much with their lives, give them drink. Give them strong drink because they're, they're not going anywhere. They're not planning on doing anything anyway. But you, you're a king. So you don't want to partake in this. You don't want to have, you don't want to have this coming into your, into your system. Am I targeting drinking? No, I'm just giving, giving an example. I'm just talking about, he's, she said, you're a king. And if you're a king, there's certain things you don't participate in. It's not for you because you're a king. I use that as a way of explaining to young people to answer that question. What's wrong with listening to secular music? And I would say, what do you want to do with your life? Because whatever you seed into you, that's what's coming up. So constant bombardment of sexual and lustful images of the music videos and constant bombardment of profanity-laced lyrics. It's not just the beat that's coming into your being. Deep in your subconscious, something is happening. And of course, there was always somebody that wanted proof. So I have to give them again a practical example. So I'll give it to you. Uh, I remember way back in college, they taught us this class in mass media about marketing and how music and pictures are used to manipulate the consumer to get them to purchase a certain product. Or reinforce a message. Or reinforce a message, yes. And so if I want you to purchase my particular um, Let's just use um, dishwashing liquid, even though there's all different kinds of brands that you will see when you go into the store. I will keep sending you pictures in 
30 second video commercials of someone purchasing this brand with this music playing. And they're always a jingle, catchy songs that connects it so that when you walk into the store without even thinking about it on impulse, automatically your behavior, your decision will be based upon constant bombardment of seeing this person buy this product. So they manipulated your decision with music and video. Do you wonder why the kids are acting out like they are now? The violence that we have? Ask any police officer. <laughs> They'll tell you, man, I wish these kids would stop listening to this music because it's actually telling them. It's instructing them. Uh, we have a young uh, a pastor in the area in Harrisburg. He's from Philadelphia, and he comes from that life and that lifestyle. And he still has family members, uh, nephews. One of his nephews was, he, had, he went to Philadelphia and got him and brought him to Harrisburg to get him out of that lifestyle. And so he asked his nephew, you know, what are you even doing involved in that? that gang life and, uh, and the, you know, breaking in people's cars and all that kind of stuff. And he said, his nephew told him, he said, because the music, the rap actually told me and gave me, it even showed me, they said the instructions of even how to do it was in the lyrics. And he said, you have the feeling, the feeling comes on you and the impulse. And so you just go and do it because now, I'm using the young people and all of that as an example, but just think about what we're constantly watching and observing and listening to every day. All of us now in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, what's the musing? And so as the Holy Spirit, I'm saying this, I'm saying this because I believe we're in an hour now where when the Holy Spirit says, this is refuse, he needs us to make an immediate response take that video out, take that CD out, flip that channel. Sometimes, if you're like me, anybody have to keep the remote control close by? Some commercials come on, you're like <laughs> Why? Because I don't even, I don't want those words, those images, nothing to be in my heart and in my home. As we were, while we were, when our kids were home and as parents, we carefully guarded the video games that we allowed them to purchase. And a couple of times they snuck in some violent games. I told them, no, no, no violent, no shooting games, no bloody gore, we're not having it in our house. And so after they got, after one time, uh, it was a birthday, they had birthday money. You know how it is and kids, Aunts and uncles give them money for, you know, for a birthday. And so they went and bought some of those kind of games, and Dad found them. And Dad threw them out. Dad bagged up all of the games that they had bought with their birthday money, and Dad threw out their games. And it had straight to the dung gate, you're right. <laughs> and we explained to our sons, we can't have this in our house. 
It cannot be in our house. We had to keep our home so guarded because we were obviously in frontline ministry in the inner city that sometimes even when we took in kids in our house, we, we gave them as a rule, don't bring that music and that stuff in the house. We, you can stay here, but don't bring that in the house. Our house became, we became so sensitive, that's just the Holy Spirit, that when any kid brought something into our house, our sleep was disturbed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Something's here. Yep. Somebody then brought something in the house that's not supposed to be here. Why is that important? Because what the Holy Spirit is really showing us today is that when there, when there's toxicity, is that a good word? Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Yay! <laughs> and we let it go, then it's just like any poison. And God does not want us to develop a tolerance for the poison. No tolerance for it. Let me finish. The last one is toxic living, uh, toxic connections. For toxic connections, it's those mystical or spiritual items, objects, charms, gifts, pictures, jewelry that bind you to the past or to demonic spiritual influences. I was really surprised at the number of believers that when they take vacations into foreign countries and things like that, they buy objects and little trinkets and things from the streets. And I'm like, these are little things dedicated to gods, demons. And they bring this stuff into their houses. It's like, wait a minute, y'all. But, but it's, just, it's just so pretty. It's so beautiful. No, this is demonic. And even if it's not something as blatant as that, um, things that tie you to your past. One of the things that I really liked about some of those TV shows where they would show someone being helped who was a hoarder is they would help that person to throw away things that were tying them to the past. Pastor Chris is not being a religious stickler today, but if there is stuff that's still in your house, items, objects, books, trinkets, any memorabilia from your, I call it your BC days, before Christ, get it out. You don't need the connection. But it was just such a wonderful period in time in my life. Yes, and it always takes you there. One thing about memorabilia, some of it, you, it's not just a memory that comes up. It actually takes you to that moment in time and place in your spirit. It prevents you from moving on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the last one is toxic living. This one always got me. That'd be bad eating habits, bad sleeping habits. See, we're talking about those, some of those weights, weights and sins. Toxic living, bad eating habits, bad sleeping habits, internet phone addictions. <laughs> In fact, on the way here, <laughs> like, oh my Lord, <laughs> many people are so addicted to their phones now, they can't drive. Is it just me? I am so tired of people crossing over the yellow line, on coming into traffic in my lane, and you, when you finally, you know, swerve to get out of the way so that you don't have a head-on collision, what are they doing? They're on their phone. Driving, doing like this while they're driving. That's an addiction. That has become more dangerous than even the drunk driver. 
because the drunk driver at least knows they're drunk. They know I'm going to get in trouble if, if for, for what I'm doing. And, but the distracted texter, the distracted on the phone person is actually more dangerous. They are clueless in their addiction. And why am I bringing this up? Because as part of toxic living, a total disregard of others. That's toxic living, a total disregard of others. The only thing on my mind is my world and what I'm doing right now in this moment. Uh, see it all the time now, video game addictions, TV addictions, along with alcohol, drug, and pharmaceutical addictions. So let's continue restoring the refuse gates, allowing the Holy Spirit to show us the things that have become Toxic. Here's another one that's, um, I wanted to, the Holy Spirit kind of dropped this on my heart uh, while we were worshiping today. One of the things that becomes toxic is even um, this throwing a tantrum on God to get him to do what we want. Where do you get that from, Pastor Chris? Throwing a tantrum to get God to do what I want. That comes from Psalms 106. Some of you are very familiar with this. He says, he gave them their request, but sent, but sent leanness in their soul. He gave them their request, but sent leanness in their soul. Talking about the children of Israel when they were going through the wilderness and the times they just screamed and begged, we want meat. We want meat. We're tired of manna. We want something else. To Do you know that you can respond to God with such a uh, self-centeredness and such a total disregard for his purpose that he'll just go ahead and give you what you want. Unfortunately, this is maybe just one of those personal things for me, but I believe as you were talking about the, the church and the, the things that this brother shared last night, the reason why this is so critical for now is because there are many who think that because God is giving them what they want, that they're in a, that they're okay. They think everything is okay. I spoke to the mountain and it moved. I declared, I decreed and it happened. When actually what happened is after weeks and months of God saying, no, not yet, not now. No, not yet, not now. No, not yet, not now. I said, I want this. I want it, God. I want it, God. I want it now. That was what was in our spirit. Outwardly, we said, I decree and I declare, but inside, I want it now. I decree, I declare. And Holy Spirit keeps saying, no, not yet, not now. No, not yet, not now. But I decree and I declare, give it to me now. And God says, okay. See, I was in faith. Because God answered my prayer. I was in faith. No, you weren't. It was a toxic response to God to give me what I want. Give it to me when I ask for it. And here's what becomes the worst part. Because I'm going to speak your word back to you to make you do it. We treat God like he's a vending machine. That's a toxic attitude. He's not a vending machine. He's the sovereign 
almighty God of the universe. We don't come up to him like a vending machine and say, I want this blessing and this and this. And so then I'm going to push this button. You know, because that says if I, that's in row F, item number six. So put in my money, tithes and offerings, F6. And in God, nothing comes out because he's not a vending machine. That's toxic teaching, if you can let, let me put that on, add to the list. Toxic teaching says, I can get what I want out of God. I can manipulate him. In the, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with this phrase, but in the, especially in the black community, there's this phrase, if blessings go up, I mean, if praises go up, blessings come down. So, we have taught people to try to manipulate God, that even though I'm not walking in the things of God, even though I really not committed, even though my heart is really not towards him, I've been taught, though, I can come into the church with the house of God and the family of God and just start praising him. And if I do that, blessings will come down on my life without any repentance Without any surrender, I can just come and praise him, push the right buttons, give the right amount of money, and he'll bless me anyway. Giving the right amount of money. <laughs> and so there are many who are turning away from the things of God because they found out that doesn't work. Because God cannot be manipulated. That toxic teaching. More stuff than needs to be. Go to the refuse gate. Because that's not what this is about. Even the tithes and the offerings. This was not about us manipulating God to get him to bless us. When the tithe began, it started with God speaking to Jacob. And saying, that land that you're lying on, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Remember that story? Jacob was laying down. He was asleep. And God gave him this open dream. He saw angels coming up and down out of heaven. And God spoke to him and gave him a promise. Jacob woke up from that dream slash vision and said, God, since you're going to do this, then I, out of everything that you bless me with I'm going to return 10% to you so he wasn't giving to get blessed tithing was done in this spirit I'm giving because I am blessed that will change your whole mindset about tithing and giving offerings I'm not giving to get him to bless me I'm giving to thank him because he has already blessed me. Amen. I already have his promise. Come on, bless the Lord right now. And then the final one, which, we're, which is really the easiest one, and this is to purge ourselves, to cleanse ourselves of the things that we already know. We already know that they're toxic. 
You're very familiar with this passage of scripture. Paul urges and says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Many of us are familiar with Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. I'll read it to you from a couple of different versions of the Bible to kind of make the point. Um, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Is, did the man of God, was he thorough? He said, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. From the New Living Version of the Bible says, the things your sinful old nature wants to do are sex sins, sinful desires, wild living, worshiping false gods, witchcraft, hating, fighting, being jealous, being angry, arguing, dividing into little groups and thinking the other groups are wrong, false teaching, wanting something someone else has, killing other people, using strong drink, wild parties, and all things like these. I told you before, and I'm telling you again, that those who do these things will have no place in the holy nation of God. This is the secret sinful stuff that we already know is trash. And most often it's something we enjoy doing, but we don't want to give it up. Don't shout me down now. We enjoy doing it, but we just don't want to give it up. Sometimes it becomes a habit or an addiction that we really struggle to throw out. Uh, and so can't you see how this is directly connected to what I just talked about? The stuff that's toxic, the toxic thoughts, the toxic people, the toxic musings, the toxic connections, the toxic living patterns, uh, toxic teaching. Thank you, dear. So Jesus told us that what we got to do is restore and rebuild something on the inside. He said it may be like cutting off an arm or plucking out an eye. Jesus was radical with the, with the way he said you got to deal with this level of toxicity. This is the stuff. He didn't say work it out over time. He's like, no, if your eye offends you, isn't that crazy? Better to enter into eternity with one eye than to let this thing take you to hell. Better to be maimed. He's, in other words, he was telling us the radical. I know there's always, some, there's always some person that tries to take this literally. I'm trying to put out my eyes so I'll be saved. I'm trying to cut off my No, he was talking about the, rat, the way we must radically deal with this refuse and with this toxin. With this sin, we have to deal with it radically. Cut it off. Thank you, Lord. So right now in these final moments, I want you just to join in with it. Here's how we're going to deal with it. Matthew says, if you, um, I'll just read that scripture. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. 
And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So let's get down to business right now in these final moments. Lord, we just turn from our wicked ways. We restore the refuse gate right now. We get rid of our trash. We want a clean house so that we can see the power and glory of God in our hearts and in our homes. We restore this refuse gate, Lord, by returning, by turning from you, to you from our wicked ways. Let's just go back to how we first started. Lord, we turn from placing our confidence in our flesh and in ourselves. Come on, just join in with me right now. We turn from placing confidence in our flesh. We don't trust. We, our confidence is not in our ethnicity. It's not in our nationality. Yes, Lord, it's not in our ability to, re, to fulfill religious requirements. Yes, Lord God. It's not in any accolades and the awards that we can receive in this life. Yes, Lord. It's all meaningless compared to you. So, Lord, our souls follow hard after you. Lord, we also turn from all the things that you show us that they're harmful. Maybe we didn't realize it. Uh, there are certain things that we just didn't know. But now as we commit from this day forward that as you reveal things, the things that you reveal to us, that they're toxic to us, rather it's a teaching Amusing, no matter what it is, Lord, we make the decision that we will follow you immediately. We will respond immediately and throw it out. Help us to make this decision. And, Lord, lastly, we turn away from all the things that we already know they're sinful. <laughs> Nobody has to preach a sermon and talk about it. These are the things that give us pleasure. And so, Lord, it's hard for us to let it go. But, Lord, we don't want to risk our purpose and we don't want to risk our destiny for the sake of some sinful habit and some sinful vice. So, Lord, we restore the refuse gate. From this day forward, everything that you identify as trash, everything that you identify as being rubbish, everything you identify as being filth, we throw it out of our hearts and we throw it out of our homes. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to be some religious dictator and tell you what that thing is. The whole, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe what some preachers get off. We start trying to name stuff and tell everybody how to live. But that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He will tell you and he will show you what specifically needs to go through the refuse gate. Thank you, Lord. And we trust you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do this thing. Thank you, Lord God, for your cleaning your church. You're removing every spot, every wrinkle, so that we are prepared, body, so that we are prepared. Thank you, Lord.